This is the biggest story in the world from The Guardian. On the series so far, we focused on the nuts and bolts of the campaign, the sculpting and the architecture of narrative, as well as the practicalities. We've been keeping our heads in the ground. Oh, my mind's gone blank as a result. So today, we'll peek above the parapet, climb out of the trench, and exit the building. It's time to face the firing squad. What kind of reaction is the campaign getting from the outside world? What's working and what's not? One way to find out is to ask. It was a very simple email. Dear campaign supporter. This one was from James. More than 175,000 Guardian readers have now signed our petition calling on the Gates Foundation and Wellcome Trust to move their investments out of fossil fuels. I can't remember the language exactly, but to paraphrase... While 175,000 is a big number... It, it doesn't, doesn't tell, tell us anything really about anything about you. We'd love to hear from you. Are there ideas that you have you'd like to share, improvements you'd like to suggest? And the readers wrote back... Dear Guardian, organise some flash mobs. Try and get people like Mark Thomas or Russell Brand to embarrass these big companies into divesting. Dear Guardian, I live in Ecuador. Please translate the campaign information into other languages. Dear Guardian, I'm a retired midwife. Publish positive messages as well as the scary ones. Dear Guardian, I'm a doctor from Iraq. I think the emerging producers of oil should be also targeted. The response to that was about 5,500. Well, that's... That's amazing. A nice easing into the unknown and a few good ideas too. But of course, they are going to go gentle on it. They bought in right from the start. Reaction from further afield has been more mixed. Let's venture away from home and step out under the lights and in front of the mics. Alan Rusbridger has been the chief editor of the respected UK paper The Guardian since 1995. And last December, as he considered... He says he has one regret, and that is not doing enough justice to climate change. Alan's been busy popping in and out of TV and radio studios. Alan Rusbridger. Alan Rusbridger, welcome to the program. Hi there. Telling the world all about it. Is this a good story or a cause? Well, I think it's both. I mean, I, I think... You can look two two ways at this. It's either a moral question that, that oil and coal part of the reason why Alan has been in such demand is because the Guardian chose to campaign, and that's not normal anywhere else. Here in the UK, we're used to the idea of papers having an opinion and even campaigning. So it came as a surprise to the team when that became the global media story rather than the content. But, but they're intrigued by the debate over um, objectivity, and they're they're intrigued by a newspaper being activist and campaigning. In the US in particular, you know, some commentators have been saying, well, you know, this is an unacceptable blurring of the boundaries between the opinion pages and the news pages. How can we trust The Guardian's business coverage on big oil companies in the future or its science coverage on climate change or something like that? In Germany, for instance, there's still this saying by a once famous television anchor who said, a good journalist never joins a cause, not even a good one. The Guardian's director of digital strategy, Wolfgang Blau, has been going door to door asking media organizations to partner on the project. Mainly I'm trying to interest other publishers and find ways how it's easier for them to engage with a project where there is a petition attached. 
typically, from what I found out so far, it's easier to endorse a petition in southern Europe, for instance, as far as Europe is concerned. More difficult, for instance, in Germany or in, in some Scandinavian countries. In some countries, it's outright illegal. I mean, this is a slightly old world, new world discussion because there's so much going on in the new world in which nobody would get hung up about this. They don't get hung up at, at, at um, BuzzFeed or Vice or uh, HuffPo. These, these techniques are, are completely um, commonplace. And, and I don't think anybody particularly feels uneasy about them. Um, so to see a, you know, a, a so-called legacy player adopting some of the techniques of new media, um, I think people find interesting. You know, where, where's that going? Back on this small island, where we're not as squeamish about pinning our colors to the mast, the Guardian's peers are more concerned with picking apart the argument. John Gapper from the FT has been a particularly critical voice. I have a lot of doubts about the fossil fuel divestment campaign overall, and the Guardian's part in it, obviously. I think it's a very peculiar way to go about it, because, uh, for example, if you want um, a university to divest from its fossil fuel holdings, you're not actually asking that university to switch out its lights or stop consuming electricity. Uh, the protesters themselves are not going to boycott Apple because Apple produces uh, devices which use a lot of electricity. The whole intellectual basis of the campaign seems to me to be a very strange one that you go after fossil fuel companies for producing energy but nobody for consuming it. That doesn't seem to me to make any sense. But The Guardian thought about that, as you'll remember from episode two, and decided 20 years of blaming the consumer hadn't worked. I mean, you know, as always in Britain, you know, Fleet Street's a terribly jealous world. Uh, and so no one ever gives any um, credit to what anybody else is doing. Um, and in fact, pretends to ignore it. Now, it's not just the hacks who are picking holes. You'd have thought the scientists would be on side, but even they have had some questions about the foundations of the campaign. Yeah, so I'm uh, Mike Hume, and I'm Professor of Climate and Culture in the Department of Geography at King's College London. The uh, way in which the campaign is framed is that it depends very heavily on this two-degree narrative and the trillionth tonne, and it closes down, therefore, what climate change actually is about, as though somehow, if we can secure global warming at no more than two degrees, then we have tamed the issue. Uh, and this focus, this almost fetish on two degrees, to me is um, a, a dangerous obsession. You know, climate change raises a much, much wider set of questions about how we live collectively uh, on a crowded planet with limited resources. It's not a science story. It's not an environment story. It's got a wrong relationship, it seems to me, between science and politics. Climate change, first and foremost, is a human story, and therefore it's a political story. Um, science has a part to play, but it's not a particularly decisive part to play, it seems to me, in how climate change unfolds. Mike, you was right that this has gone beyond being a science story or an environment story. It is all about politics, and that's our point, really. Um, on the two degrees target, I mean, perhaps it is a dangerous obsession, but... 
it's not the Guardian's obsession, it is the level at which international negotiators have settled on as a kind of target to avoid going beyond. Um, now there are arguments for and against that level, uh, you know, perhaps it should be lower, perhaps it should be higher, um, but it, it gives us a benchmark to uh, do the calculations around, I guess. But the criticism that's been leveled at the team from all quarters has attacked the very idea at the centre of the campaign. Divestment. Or, at least, its financial effectiveness. The big investors, including Wellcome Trust, say that engagement is more effective as it has the potential to influence fossil fuel companies from the inside as shareholders. Simon Bowers works on The Guardian's business pages and has been stalking the glass halls of the city for a long time. So engagement is sort of shorthand for if you have uh, concerns about a company's behaviours and its social responsibility, then as a shareholder, uh, you are the owner of the company, you can go and meet the company, you can talk to them and persuade them that um, they, they need to shift their behaviour. That, that's what engagement is, and it's nothing more than that. The Wellcome Trust has been saying this publicly for years. People say it's better than divestment uh, for two reasons. One is, if you divested from every company uh, that you didn't, you weren't entirely comfortable with the behaviour of, you'd effectively be withdrawing in your entire capital and sticking it under your mattress And when you go to bed every night. You, it's an impractical way of living in the world. The second reason, if you sell your shares, someone else will buy them, someone else who won't be engaging, and therefore you lose the opportunity to help move the needle. I mean, most, most people that I've been speaking to in the city are in the engagement camp. I mean, they all are. By their nature, you know, they are, they are investors, therefore they're not, they're not divested of shares because otherwise they wouldn't be working in the city. Oh, so should The Guardian have engaged instead of running a divestment campaign? I thought it was interesting talking to Jonathan Porritt the other day, who was talking about his experience of dealing with these companies. Porritt's made a career of trying to engage with big oil. And for him, it doesn't work. We, we, we reported you in The Guardian as saying that you thought that engagement with these big fossil fuel companies was in the end futile. Yes, and they've had so many opportunities to put their houses in order respectively and get after this much smarter decarbonized route to energy security, affordability and sustainability. They really have, I mean, limitless opportunities over the last decade. And there comes a point when you just say, you're all smart, you're paid God knows how much money to steer through these complex areas and you are risking the write-off, the destruction of massive, massive value inside the company. In your 20 years of working at Forum for the Future, have you seen any examples of shareholders having that kind of influence? When you say down to shareholder engagement, a change that came exclusive from shareholder engagement, I honestly would be hard put to give an example of that, however long I studied that one. So when you read the Wellcome Trust saying... They don't want to divest from fossil fuels. They feel it's more valuable to engage. What do you feel about that? It's probably tosh, to be honest. Give us some evidence that you've done the hard work on this. Show us how you're going to diversify the portfolio. The last we heard from Wellcome was that they put 
on their website a, a blog from Jeremy Farrow. And it essentially says the same thing that uh, he said to us in the comment piece, which is that they think that um, engagement is a more effective strategy than, than divestment. But it went slightly further than that. They said that uh, the BP um, shareholder resolution that went through at BP's AGM, they were involved in. So they at least gave us one example of, uh, of, of quote, successful engagement. For those who don't speak finance, that means a group of shareholders at BP got together, wrote up a list of actions they wanted the company to take on climate change, and put it to the directors at their big yearly meeting. BP accepted and said, we'll see what we can do. The Wellcome Trust is treating this as a win. Although, you know, it's better than nothing, you know, it it, it doesn't really change anything fundamental about BP. You know, I think now we can get into the nitty-gritty of saying, well, okay, if that's the best example of engagement that there is, then that's pretty disappointing. But it's not just the Wellcome Trust the Guardian is targeting. How about Gates? Anything from them? Well, I mean, you know, um, a little bit... Mm. um, Quiet, really. I mean, they, they have responded and... Yeah, at the moment, we're, we're sort of waiting and seeing. I'm not staying awake at night. I'm hoping that some, somebody's going to ring me and um, say we've changed our mind immediately. But I would have thought that at some point in, in the medium term, they will change their minds. So it's time to get nearer to the ground, to the grassroots. Okay. Can can everybody um, can everybody try and find a seat and and shut up? The Guardian invited environmentalists, campaigners, bloggers, think tanks to the building. People who've been squirreling away on this for their whole careers. Just just I'm Anna Rusbridge. I edit the Guardian. Um, thank you all for coming. The main aim of this is to get your reactions to what we've been doing and any guidance that you think about what we can be doing different or better. So over to you. Please say who you are. Somebody say something. <laughs> OK, I'm, I'm Fahana Yamin. I've recently founded a new organisation called Track Zero, the mission of which is to phase out fossil fuel emissions. Please go, go global, Alan. wishing to leave this legacy please call a meeting of fellow editors of all the quality papers around the world we don't need just the guardian we need everyone fantastic well i will um, look at my diary and see whether i can get all the editors in the world to come (coughs) before the um before the end of may Bryony Worthington, um, I set up Sandbag in 2008 and uh, since then got put in the House of Lords, so I find myself inside the machine. Um, but, but, but really, my, my, I just wanted to say that you know, it's very easy to say that divestment is not the answer, but what this campaign has done is energise people, and you've said it yourselves, and it's created a space and it's allowed conversations to happen that wouldn't have done otherwise, so thank you, and it it's really has been very timely. But... Don't give up on democracy, certainly not in the UK and certainly not in Europe. And when you're thinking about weighing up, is it divestment, is it engagement, don't forget regulations and laws, because that's actually what they respond to in the boardroom. I'm Joss Garman from IPPR. Um, 
it was just a thing about the election really in the sense that kind of picking up on Bryony's point we'll have the election new government will form how long that will take and I appreciate the Garden Union is a global newspaper with a global campaign but it does feel a little like uh, we're going to run this big climate campaign over here and then here's our day-to-day -day election coverage I, I think there's a perception amongst swathes of the public that um, the main political parties are sort of broadly the same on this agenda there is quite a gulf at the minute between the political parties and I don't think that sort of been understood by the sort of um, broader Guardian audience. Hello, my, my name's Fanny Calder. I've also recently started an organisation that's very different to Fahana's but has the same goal. It's called The Future and we try and get millennials much more interested in the politics of climate change. This is kind of the million dollar question because uh, you know, everyone sort of scratches their heads and tries to understand how to influence people of that generation and, and I, I, I think we're probably not that good at it at The Guardian. So we invited them in. Papers in front of them, phones in their hands. Yeah. What page is it? Tuesday the 10th of the... Is this, this it? Yeah. Uh, I already find it. All eyes were on Paris when negotiators were meeting December. We know that if we continue on our current path... When you pass the new Superground, I kept this one because that looks quite interesting, even though I didn't know what it is was. Is this supposed to be a red sky? This is an interesting article. The UN is having a bunch of talks, but I can't see much about anything happening or anything being done. Just... Not much on the front page, guys. Have you seen the video, seen video uh, of Obama? On the front page? Yeah, talking about climate change. No, about climate change, environment. Apocalyptic visions of our future underwater. That's slightly terrifying, isn't it? Yeah. It's They're hard not, to find not, yeah, the hard source to find it. on what yeah. exactly you're trying to do. I think I want it more to be what I can do to help and not what I've done to cause the problem. Yeah. I, I would say if you like really want to be really successful, you might want to do some endorsements with like celebrities or something. You know? like, I know Russell Brand, he's, he does touch on the topic of climate. You need to have a range of things for different target markets, climate change, while someone our age is more likely to look at a video about climate change and remember that instead of an article we've read. Send him more words to The Guardian? No, keep that for the, the elderly and people that actually enjoy reading. <laughs> no, I'm not saying we don't enjoy reading, but if we are around our friends, we're not going to really pick up a newspaper and actually read the whole article. Yeah. More likely to look at a video and even show our friends what we've seen. Make it um, stand out to young people. Put words that will catch our attention. Put apocalyptic images, maybe. I feel like yeah. graphics is like a huge part of this right now. Mm get something exciting something that looks like whoa yeah so it's not really clear what keeping it keep it in the ground is about we'll actually see what the campaign's aiming to do yeah from what i read the aim of the campaign was to divest or to get these uh, was it the gates foundation or something to divest but yeah and then there was a petition to sign and you got like 100 something thousand signatures okay but at the end of the day, what did that actually do? I don't know what that did. I mean, then uh, did it actually say, okay, we'll divest, or? Um, they have said they don't want to divest. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I don't know. Time for a new new plan for a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, what do you reckon to that? It's always a little bit sobering uh, listening to people's reactions to to the content because particularly when you're involved in a project like this that is so all-encompassing and uh, you know you, it's easy to kind of lose the perspective of someone coming at it fresh so you know you can't please everyone all the time I guess. 
Overall, the team have batted off the criticism, held off the attacks. The media, the city, readers, experts, even the next generation. So how does the editor feel? I'm, I'm feeling very, very good. I'm, in, I'm really um, heartened by the reader response. Um, not just the people who have signed, but the people who have offered to do more. I'm heartened by the arguments that we are surfacing and the challenge that we are uh, helping to produce to the, the conventional, you know, the, the first wave of counter-arguments. Uh, and we've, we've barely begun on the, on the investigative reporting yet. Uh, so there's nothing, there's nothing I've seen yet that has shaken my faith that this path that we've set on is, is the right path. But that might not be enough. Who's got the microphone? <laughs> um, hi, I'm um, Claire Fussell from the Climate Coalition. And we're a network of about 100 different organisations across the UK who are all coming together to try and tackle climate change together. Um, we've been going for about 10 years, um, but this year we're really seeing a big shift. There's a lot more momentum. Wanting to get an idea from you how long you see this campaign running. Um, I, I, Kath, Kath, having been appointed editor, very sensibly went off to a jungle in Costa Rica and did a month of yoga. So um, I haven't had that conversation with her yet. I have no reason to believe that. She won't carry it on, but, but I, I'm, I'm waiting to have that conversation with her, you know, not, not to try and force her, but to hear from what she wants, because I think it's important that there's so much momentum behind it now. It would be terribly sad if, it, if that went on June the 1st, but I'm, something tells me she, she won't drop it. And that's the nub of it there. Climate change isn't going anywhere, unlike Alan. Gates and Welcome can wait it out if there's just one month of discomfort left. And with Paris at the end of the year, the momentum of The Guardian's climate project needs to grow, not shrink. But if the new editor continues the campaign, then that's a whole different matter. We, we should probably stop because yeah, you're all busy and you've got to get away. So, will Kath Viner, the editor-in-waiting, take up the mantle? Um, but thank you so much. That's been a really... Stay tuned to find out. ...fantastic injection of, of um, thought and energy and um, The biggest ideas. story in the world is narrated by me, Alex Kratoski. It's produced by Alana Chance, Lindsay Poulton, Matt Hill, Nabila Shabir and Lucy Greenwell. Thank you very much for coming. Sound design is by Chris Wood. Original music is by Matthew Herbert. Head of audio is Jason Phipps. And the executive producer is Francesca Panetta.